Welcome to episode 84 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste, Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. 
unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 84 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. 
and I am not just here with Jen Stevens. We have a super fun guest today. We have Wade Lightheart on the podcast. Wade is actually one of the founders of a company called Buy Optimizers, and they make a line of digestive and proteolytic enzymes, also supplements for HCL, stomach acid, some supplements to attack gluten. They also make a probiotic. So lots of things that our listeners are really familiar with that we talk about a lot that we're very excited about. And we're super excited to get into the nitty gritty of digestion and enzymes and so many topics today. Very, very excited. So thank you so much for being here, Wade. It's really great to be here. And it's a topic that I'm excited to, to dive into because not everybody understands the benefits and values or the nuances of intermittent fasting. And so to be on here today is a great honor. Thanks. So I first heard about you guys and your company. I heard you on several different podcasts. I heard you on Dave Asprey's podcast, on um, Ben Greenfield's podcast. And I really loved everything that you would go into, the, the details of everything with digestion and how everything really works. Because our listeners, they really like getting into the science and the nitty gritty and understanding how things work. But before we get into all that, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background, um, your diet, your health history, and how you came to form by Optimizers? Sure. I'll try and compress it. Um, but the long story short, everything I've done is usually to fix some problem I have. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> and then you find out that a lot of other people that you didn't anticipate have that problem and you find a way to serve them. And I think so. First and foremost, I think every obstacle is an opportunity. But to compress the time frame, I guess, um, when I was 15 years old, three things happened to me very significantly. Number one, my parents moved from the community I was living in into an extremely rural area. And what I mean by that, it was five miles to my nearest neighbor. We were on a 500-acre resort. We were the caretakers of a resort for a wealthy family. And, uh, yeah, the telephone pulls under my door. It was a dirt road. And I would get snowed in, take a snowmobile to the bus, which was an hour to school. So I had a lot of time to think, a lot of time to contemplate. Was this like The Shining? <laughs> Pretty much. It's very much like that. First image that popped into my head. Oh, that's funny. There's okay. no scary people with hatchets and stuff like that. But, but it was shocking, obviously, as a 15-year-old wanting to increase social connection and all that stuff. And I'll be, yeah, actually having going to reduce weights. On top of that... At the same time, my sister was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's disease, which is cancer of the lymph nodes. And I watched her go through the traditional allopathic medical model over four years with the surgeries and radiations and chemotherapy before she died at 22. She was four years my senior. So, um, you know, yes, there's the tragedy of that and everything, but there's also the lesson inside of that. And the lesson I took away went, well, number one, your health is not a guarantee. And number two, um, conventional medicine might not be able to save you if you run into problems. And number three, I was always curious as to why the, the treatment for the condition seemed to actually be worse than the condition itself. And that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So directed me on a path to seek out alternative answers. One of those came, uh, my sister gave me at the same time, uh, and this all happened at a very short period, like a compressed period of time. She handed me a bodybuilding magazine that had this blonde guy, uh, Troy Zuclato, who had just won the Mr. California and had these pretty girls on there. And of course, being 15 years old and a young man driving mad with testosterone, I thought, oh man, I, I, maybe I need these muscles to, to get pretty girls like that. And I undertook myself to start training as a bodybuilder. And I, I built a gym in my garage. And uh, literally, uh, it was a, you know, I was training in there in a snowmobile suit at 40 below. And it was kind of a rocky atmosphere. And that led me to study exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick when I got out of. Uh, high school. 
And then that led to a career in the nutrition industry, uh, eventually competitive athlete as um, in bodybuilding, ended up becoming national champion and then did it as a vegetarian, um, had a major smashdown after I went to the Mr. Universe contest where I gained 42 pounds in 11 weeks after the contest. So I went from Mr. Universe to Mr. Marshmallow. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> and, 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 and that's where Bioptimizers came into because I was like, how is this possible? I've got the best coach. I've got Spartan discipline. I've been doing this program for 16 years. I'm doing everything right. Why is my body failing me? And um, I met a doctor and he told me, wait, he said, you've learned to build the body from the outside in. You haven't learned to build the body from the inside out. And that's where I got clued into digestion and the mechanics of digestion and understanding that we are not what we eat. We are what we digest, absorb and utilize. And ultimately, on top of that, you got to eliminate the stuff that you that you the waste. And if you have a, a, a compromised digestive system and almost everybody listening to this podcast does and I will give the reasons to why that is in a little bit. And it's not your fault. It's just part of the environmental aspects. It's not a question of when you're going to run into digestive issues or hormonal issues or, or, or some sort of illness. It is, it, or if, it's, it's just when. It's, it's going to happen. And this is articulated to us as hormonal, digestive things, age-related illnesses, and genetic-related illnesses. All of these can actually be traced back to our food sources and how we absorb and utilize our food sources and also how those have been interrupted over the last 50, 60 years significantly. Wow. Yeah, I can tell that people are going to love hearing this because people do have a lot of these of these problems and they don't know where to start. So where do they start? What do they do first? What, what, what do you say? Well, the fact that you guys are promoting and educating intermittent fasting, I think is phenomenal. And I think one of the biggest reasons why this um, aspect of addressing dietary uh, restriction in a, in a unique way is, is because we have, let's, let's, let's look at humanity up to this way, because I like to go look at the big picture and dial in. For most of humanity throughout most of history, getting enough food was a problem. Then came the, in, uh, particularly after World War II in monoculture farming, mass production, and the use of chemicals to, to support these monoculture farming, mass marketing and mass production, people moving to the city, you know, like at the turn of the century, 90% of people worked on a farm or grew food in their house. Now, like it's less than 2%. And these mass farming issues created a bulk of food and also preservation, you know, the, you know, the whole idea of processors, remember the TV dinners that started out and then canned foods and, and then all, all of these prosperous foods, which made food very convenient, readily available, very inexpensive relatively, and that you could eat 24 hours a day. And so that's what people did. So if you look back in pictures of your genetics 100 years ago, your family members, there's very few people that are having, everybody's pretty fit. Nowadays, it's quite the opposite if you do that family reunion picture. And, and so it's not the genetics, it's the environment. And I think we have an environment that people are eating too much, too frequently, and eating foods that our bodies aren't designed to actually metabolize and utilize pro properly. And so when people st start saying, you know what, I'm only eating between this window and this window, the first thing that happens is generally it's easier to calorie restrict. And the second part is 
now you're giving your body enough time to actually start to heal and repair some of the damage that might have been done over 10, 20, 30, 40 years or whatever it happens to be to that point. And so that, I think, is one of the best starts um, that people can make. And then I think on top of that would be paying attention to the foods that may be disrupting themselves. And that's as easy as just writing a journal doing an allergy test or GI mapping or these type of things. It depends how sophisticated, but it all starts with paying attention to what you're doing because I think the number one observation tool that anybody has is their own experience. I, I think that that's, that's key because, you know, with intermittent fasting, we're eating in the, the compressed window. So we are suddenly, for the first time maybe ever, able to hear the signals that our body is sending us because before – they were drowned out in the fact that we ate all the time. So we we knew we didn't feel great, but we didn't even realize how bad it was. Then you start intermittent fasting, and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I feel bad after I eat this certain food, or you start making connections, and it, it helps us pinpoint that, I think. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about intermittent fasting, actually. So wait, do you yourself practice intermittent fasting? Do you eat in time windows? or? Yeah, I do. And so I got into... First off, fasting um, almost 15 years ago when I first started looking into historical aspects of healing and uh, alteration for my own life as well. You know, I ran into these problems. I started doing colonics and I started looking at fasting as like, oh, wow, look at this. Um, if I restrict my food, here's what happens with my gut. And, here's, and so I started off with one-day fasts. And then those went to three-day fasts, and those eventually went to 10-day fasts, where I was doing water fasts. And I started to break the cycle of, oh, I don't need to eat in order to function. And, uh, and again, I started slowly, and I built myself up. And so that first gave me to the power of fasting and, and what became uh, an option. And that was a, a little bit different than performance-based dieting. Uh, of course... I introduced fasting to my business partner, uh, Matt, who's a keto guy. I'm a vegetarian guy, so we're very we're polar. And, and so he started experimenting fasting. And then he we start looking at the ketogenic effects of being in time-restricted eating windows. And so he started doing it on a ketogenic diet so that you could kind of maintain a more performance-based lifestyle. And uh, so I started experimenting with the vegetarian diet. And so now uh, I typically eat in a four to six hour window uh, that works best for my lifestyle. And then if I'm traveling, I'll often just do one meal a day. Yeah, that 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 tends to be the window I kind of settle into as well. About four to six hours is a good one for me. Same here. <laughs> and I, I love that about your company though. So, so for listeners, um, Wade just said this, but there's Wade and Matt and Wade goes on the vegetarian side of things and Matt is the hardcore keto I guess, like with meat and all of that stuff. So that's great how you guys have two, you know, on the like seemingly very different dietary approaches, but obviously you, you understand that different diets work for different people and that it's not just about what you're eating. It's about what works for you personally and how you're digesting it and all of those things. So I think that's really motivating for listeners to know that, you know, there are different dietary approaches for different people. Yeah, we, we were both personal trainers and nutritionists, uh, and we worked together, you know, and that's how we ended up starting a company together. We both were passionate about helping other people, and we had to deal with a lot of different clients and a lot of different ages. And no, guess what? Everybody doesn't respond the best to one's type of diet. Um, people have different goals, and people have, you know, some people uh, 
you know, only eat wild food and some people don't care about that. And some people only want plant food. So how do you, how do you alter dietary practices around people choices make? And, and I don't, I'm not one of those vigilante vegans or anything like that. You know, <laughs> it's like I got to apologize for it's like what works for your life and, uh, and how do we best optimize that? So you just feel better as a vegetarian. That's what led you to be a vegetarian. Well, actually I read a book called the Holy science and up to this, I was a total carnivore. And uh, I read a book called The Holy Signs. I got into meditation and Eastern philosophy. And it was the teacher, the guru of my, the guru that was teaching me the teachings. And um, and it, it, the book was a very interesting, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal read, a comparative a comparison between Eastern and Western philosophy, and then also where we are in the universe, what's the goal, what's the point, what's how the systems of the body work. And he had some really interesting points around the nervous system and function. And so I said, ah. I'm going to try this uh, vegetarian diet for two weeks. So I did and didn't dry up and blow away. So I went two weeks more. And, you know, this was a radical concept of, as a muscle building, bodybuilding guy who, you know, I did my red meat three times a week or I die. And um, and then so after a month went by, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll try it another month. And I went two months went by and I went, ah, I guess I won't eat it anymore. And that was it. I, yeah. So tell, tell me the name of that book again. I'm going to write it down. That was called The Holy Science. Okay. Yeah, by uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar. You can put it in the show notes. Yes, it's, yes, we will. It's, it's, it's an extremely far out book, and uh, but very condensed and very compressed. It doesn't take long to read it, but it's profound. And that was it. Well, it sounds great. It sounds like something I would enjoy. So for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 84, that's where we will put links to everything that we talk about today. So we'll put links about all of Wade's background and the company, and we'll also put a link to that book and anything else we talk about. And so to get into the, the nitty gritty of everything, Wade, digestion and the digestive process, before we talk about <laughs> how we can address, how we can optimize it, no pun intended, with supplements and things like that, would you like to take us through how the actual digestive process works? And like I said, our listeners love the nitty gritty details. So if you'd like to just tell us how it all goes down um, as far as like when we eat and the enzymes, acid, alkaline, how that affects things, everything, I, we would love to hear it. Yeah, great. Uh, so I'm going to compress this and put it into a format that everybody can understand so we don't get too technical, but we get the fundamental basics of it. So basically when you um, – the very act of smelling and touching the food activates – uh, various mechanisms inside your body that will elicit the digestive response, switching of the nervous system, um, the production of enzymes, uh, the mobilization of bacteria cultures inside your body. It's phenomenal. And so, and we know this from the aroma of food, you know, whatever. And so that's the first stage of where food begins. After that, as soon as food enters the mouth, it comes into chewing it. And depending on the type of food, how much it's chewed is it can be a factor, but basically the better your food is chewed, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that's a, that's a good idea. There is a camp that's on the other side of it, but for the most part, the evidence is leaning towards chew your food properly. At this point, your body will produce what's called pitalin, a kind of enzymatic blend that is used to break down particularly carbohydrates. So if that starts to happen in the mouth. Now, what's interesting is that is a genetic or that's 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 been a response that has been elicited in humans only relatively after we introduce cooked food into our diets it's not something that is naturally occurring in animal species until they start to eating cooked food and then the body will start producing digestive enzymes to break down the food that they cook so that's a 
that's a whole topic in itself. And what happens after you chew the food is your body goes into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. And so it travels down the esophagus into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. And it's got about 30 minutes to 60 minutes in there where the enzymes present in the food will start breaking down that food. Now, what's interesting is if you look out in, you know, studying all the animals on the planet and how they eat. So if I'm a tiger and I go kill a zebra, I knock the zebra down and the tiger goes in and it'll eat the entrails first. So it eats where all the enzymes and probiotics are. They eat that first and then they eat the rest of the carcass. If I'm a, a horse, I'll go eat grass and I'll select the freshest grass that has the most enzymatic potential in it, and I'll eat that grass first before I'll eat any other thing. Or if I'm a deer in the woods in winter, I will try and eat the the lichen or the, the, the leaves, the living organisms that have enzymatic potential, because when those things are consumed, the enzymes present into it begin to break down that food. Can I ask you a question really quickly? This, is, this question has been haunting me for so long. The enzymes in the plants and and in the animal products, why are are they there? Are they there to digest that food when it is eaten by something else? Well, yeah. What's interesting about this, so for example, in all living tissues, the difference between a stone and a living organism is enzymes. And enzymes are responsible for everything from thinking to ink, thinking to blinking. So uh, there's over 25,000 different enzymatic processes in your body. And you, these are like catalysts that speed up chemical reactions inside uh, the body. Now, there's a in, in living tissue, like animals and people and stuff, there's an enzyme called cathospin that becomes activated when, your ani- when the animal dies. So as the second that you're killed, this enzyme becomes activated and begins breaking down and rotting the tissue essentially. So digestion is actually controlled rotting. So when a killer whale eats a seal, it has a st- apartment in its stomach where the seal goes and the natural rotting disintegration process will break down the seal so that the, the, the whale doesn't have to go off and you know throw the seal on a barbecue to start breaking it down, where humans will go off and do that. And there's advantages to that and there's disadvantages. The advantages you can store and cook food and consume more calories from cooking it. The downside is, is that your body is going to have to produce more enzymes in order to do that because anything over 114 degrees, the enzymes are basically destroyed. And humans have a pancreas, which is where you release your enzymes. The enzymes are produced in the liver and then released by the pancreas uh, four and a half times any other species per weight. Uh, which we're the only species that naturally cooks its food. And then this started to happen, of course, with dogs and cats that are now eating cooked food. Well, the pancreas of uh, a, a wild dog versus uh, uh, versus a, a domesticated dog will be significantly different. Same thing for a cat. And because we've now feeding our animals uh, cooked food, dried, cooked, processed foods, and they have to, and they start developing diseases very much like humans' arthritic conditions and things like that, which is essentially undigested proteins that end up in the bloodstream and deposited as crystals around the joints and creating inflammation in the body, which are just undigested food particles. Wow. So is that the reason, like aging a steak, it's letting those enzymes break down the steak? So so would would a a steak that is well-aged be easier to digest than 
than a non-aged steak? That is absolutely correct. You've made the correct inference. So it's a controlled rotting process and an enzyme will activate that process. And so oftentimes they'll cure the meats or they'll build meats into it or they'll do these type of things in it to, number one, accelerate it. And also, number two, to infuse different flavors or textures or colors into the meat that will make it more appealing to the sensory organs. Now, would this also apply to perhaps fermented foods? I know fermentation is a different process, but it's it sounded... Fermentation foods are you're essentially you're you're controlling the pre-digested process, so it's much more absorbable and utilizable. Because probiotics, which we'll get to, are little tiny bags of intelligent enzymes that are using. Uh, they're just a little bit more mobile than, say, a regular enzyme, but they are correlated. So in that upper card, going back to our sorry, so this is fascinating. I can go on forever. So going back to that upper card, that first thirty to sixty minutes, that's where the enzymes' presence are. And then what happens, your body releases hydrochloric acid. The food drops into the lower part of the intestinal tract. And you st- you've got peristaltic contraction and the chime is all moving around and stuff. And uh, your body produces hydrochloric acid. And that starts – has a couple of functions. The hydrochloric acid, number one, changes the pH. So various enzymes become active or deactivated at diminishing levels of pH. So in the case of you're eating a big steak, for example, there are certain amino acids that are cleaved in the first 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes. And then as the pH level changes, other amino acids will be bro- broken down. If you miss that process, what happens is in your body doesn't might not get the essential amino acids that it requires because that didn't that protein didn't properly break down. So if you didn't have enzymes present or you don't have enough enzymatic pressure or, or power yourself – or you didn't produce enough hydrochloric acid that the pH level didn't really change appropriately, that's when you start running into other problems. So the average 40-year-old, for example, produces less than half the hydrochloric acid they did when they were you know, 15 or 20 years old. And so what happens all of a sudden, they start getting things like acid reflux and heartburn. So that's not caused from too much acid. It's caused from not enough because your body, what happens when the pH changes and gets acidic enough, there's a little sphincter on the top of your stomach, or the lower, they call it the lower esophageal sphincter, that closes when enough acidity reaches. But if you don't reach full acidity, what happens is some of this chime is going to splash up into the esophagus. And guess what? It's going to create heartburn. It's going to create acid reflux. And what do they do is people take, oh, I'm going to take the, you know, the pink juice. I'm going to take the you know, you know, I'm going to take some sort of agent that's going to coat my intestinal tract or it's going to block the natural functioning of this acid, which not only serves to alter the pH, but it also serves as a disinfectant against what? Bad bacteria, parasites, viruses, and things like that. So now I'm adding, you know, a proton pump or something into my stomach to block acid. Now I'm not breaking down my food. Now I'm potentially allowing uh, pathogenic agents into the, the, second, the third stage of digestion, which is into the intestinal tract, and I start running into problems there with bacteria overgrowth. I start getting uh, flatulence and bloating and, you know, and then you know, per- perhaps ulcers or gastritis or all these sort of you know, digestive-related illnesses because, again, the, the form and function of my digestive system has been altered or diminished over time. And uh, I've run into problems. Question. So for somebody, I'm 49, so that sounds like me. You said I'm, I'm probably not producing enough acid, so I need like a hydrochloric acid supplement with my meals. Is that, that yeah. would help with that? Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people start off with just, you know, adding things like apple cider vinegar and before they eat, which is something I use on all my salads. And I still I try I always try to get any of the natural ways. The other thing is, is people who are chronically dehydrated, which most of, most of the population is one of the reasons they don't produce enough hydrochloric acid. So what's interesting is you need full hydration in order to produce HCL. Hydrochloric acid is actually produced from the water inside your intestinal tract that's stored there. And if you're in a chronic state of dehydration, your ability to produce hydrochloric acid is somewhat diminished. And I've I've trained 15,000 or 15,000 clients and over 95% of them are chronically dehydrated when that means that they need at least two, three weeks oftentimes to fully hydrate. Fascinating. All right. Well, that's, that's good. Good info. A few questions about the HCL before we move on. because um, So I, I personally do supplement with HCL. And I never uh, have, but I may need to. So I'm, I'm listening intently. <laughs> so a few questions about that. I I sort of supplement just kind of willy-nilly. Like I don't take a certain amount of HCL capsules. I just kind of take them. Um, is there a way I can know how how much HCL I should be taking at any one time? I know there's the test where they say take it until you get the burn feeling and then you titrate down from there. Um, but how, like, how do you recommend people and listeners determine how much H- HCL they need to supplement with? You know, I always start, I start people out with one cap, um, after meals, after meals. That's another question when to take it. Yeah. Take it after your meal. So not with, no, cause it, you still need that first stage of the enzymes breaking down and then you would take it on. So let's say it takes you 30 minutes to have dinner or an hour to have dinner or whatever it is, you know, um, once you finish, then take the HCL. Like right after you finish or do you wait a period of time? Well, technically it'd be better if you waited a little longer, but most people will just forget. So I, I found that just taking it after I finish is the best methodology. And I, I tend to string out my dinners. Me too. <laughs> I'm a social eater. so Yeah. <laughs> and then, so my other question, because I overanalyze everything, especially when it comes to the, the digestive process. So with HCL, you said it doesn't need water and it needs it needs hydration to work accurately. What about like the types of foods you're eating? Will that hinder HCL production? So cause like for me, for example, I often start my meal with cucumbers or, or in the past I would do like salads and things like that. But then I wonder, is that in direct opposition to eating, you know, meat, which requires more stomach acid? Like, am I hurting my HCL production by eating certain foods? The only time that you would have a problem with that if your body's not responding to those dietary choices, which is a case for some people. So it's yes and no. In a perfect world, if your digestive system is working, it'll respond in accordance with the dietary selection that you've made. And that's why when people switch on to a new diet, oftentimes there's maybe a period of a few weeks to adjust to the new diet um, as their body will literally produce the enzymes in specific accordance. It'll produce hydrochloric acid in response to it. It's very, very tuned. The problem is, is oftentimes when people start looking at this, their system is already compromised. And so their ability to, to adjust to maybe what's a better dietary prescription for them is, is, is compromised because they're start, you know, they're basing their dietary choices with the assumption that their, their dietary system is working. And the facts are the reason why they probably decided to have another diet was not just because the diet 
they need a new diet is because there's something compromised in their system. So one of the reasons why people, I think, respond to intermittent fasting so well is that they're actually giving their body a break, which allows tissue repair, which allows enzymatic and organ strength to build up. It allows your body to produce more hydrochloric acid, more enzymatic strength, and, and it creates recovery inside the digestive system, which was naturally occurring when there wasn't much food. But now that there's an overabundance of food, it becomes an issue. It's like you can't train every hour of the day. The body will eventually break down. And of course, this is the case with your digestive system and why just even a day or two on fasting has such profound health benefits to people. Yeah, it works. I do the enzymes first and hydrochloric acid acid after. So I do them both. Okay. So you take, take the enzymes before you eat. Correct. And then eat and then take the hydrochloric acid. Correct. And we don't have to worry about that messing with our body's own production of the enzymes? Yeah, so it's a good question. So the question is, is it will, what it'll do is, is when the body detects the presence of the enzymes inside, inside it, it doesn't have to reroute its enzymatic capacity to make digestive enzymes. It will use those, that capacity to produce the met- metabolic enzymes. So, and I'll summarize this in, in in experience that everybody can relate to because we're coming, you know, Thanksgiving dinner or turkey dinner syndrome. So most people think, oh, I'm you are what you eat. So let's say you go have your big turkey dinner and potatoes and vegetables and all this sort of stuff, and then grandma brings out the sweet potato pie or whatever it happens to be, and you know the you know the route. The family gathers around. You have an extra helping. You have a piece of pie. Everybody's like stuffed to the gills. You're unbuckling belts, and then you know people are diving for the various locations in the living room. You know, grandpa's on the couch, the uncle's on the floor, you know, someone else is lying on the front, passing out, drooling. You're like, well, if I just ate all this energy units, all this food, like I should be able to go out and run a marathon. But why is everybody not, you know, in a state of unconsciousness? They're certainly not in performance release. Well, and the reason is, is they've brought so much food into the system that your body has to spend almost all of its metabolic resources to manufacture enough enzymes to break down the food that you just consumed. And so it's like, you know what? I don't need to run your brain right now. I don't need to run this organ right now. I'm going to shut everything down and then start shunting this food to wherever I can because it takes up all the digestive capacity. And one of the things that you notice is people who get older tend to eat less and less because they get full too soon. They can't break it down. They can't digest it. And ultimately, um, for longevity studies, is the one consistent thing that we can seem to see with people who live a long time is they eat less. And I believe... The eating less is part of it, but I also I believe there's a pre- preservation of the enzymatic capacity of that organism, which was illustrated by Dr. Howell's work back in the 30s and 40s when he studied all these different animal species eating cooked food diets versus non-cooked food diets and the, the longevity of the ones that were on an enzyme-infused uh, diet versus the ones that weren't. I'm guessing with those diets, the, the non-cooked food diets were, were better for longevity? For the animals? Correct. And then the ones that supplemented the enzymes uh, were better again. And so that's what he, he, he produced the theory that we had an enzyme pool inside the body. And once that was diminished, we would see dysfunction because this would be passed on generationally. So by third generation of the species he tested, whether it was cats, dogs, animals, they started to elicit, guess what, uh, inability to procreate, strange sociological behaviors that were abnormal to that species. And third thing is they started to develop genetic diseases. 
dysfunction. So they weren't replicating on their proteins uh, properly in the DNA. Well, if you look at the rise of genetic-based illnesses, odd sociological behaviors, and look at the fertility clinics pumping up all over the world, well, when has this happened? Well, this has happened exactly with the industrialization of society, particularly after World War II, with the proliferated use of chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, antibiotics, hormones, and all these sort of things that were added to sustain this commercially grown food. All of those worked, and I'm not here to poo-poo on it, but there is an enzymatic cost to that. There's a hormonal cost. There's a chemical cost because take herbicides and pesticides and fungicides. Well, how do they work? They interrupt the enzymatic pathways of bugs to kill them. And my question is, well, how many salads do I need to eat before it kills me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? If, if those pesticides are present. And so the evidence is suggesting, or how much does that affect the encryption of my genetics? Or does that affect my testosterone production. And we're seeing a steady decline of testosterone production and sperm motility in men since the 70s. Like it's it's just, a, it's like we're 30% lower levels of testosterone. Um, wow. At the same age, at every level. That's an issue for guys. That's an issue for women as well. I, I want to ask you so many more questions, but I guess I'll let you um, carry on with the digestive process. Still so, in the stomach. At the I know, I know, I know. Let us carry on. <laughs> so as the food chime leaves and after we've gone through the, the shifting pH levels of the hydrochloric acid, the enzymes become active and reactive at the various levels. So different proteins clave off. That's why we make a multi-stage proteolytic enzyme so that we get all the amino acids because those are one of the key components. Then the food chime leaves the stomach. And what's given, released in the body is a thing called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for, you know, alkaline minerals. And that brings that back to a pH level that's sustainable in the intestinal tract. Your stomach can handle a very, very low pH. Your intestines can't. And when it comes back to that more balanced pH through these minerals, it, it enters into the intestinal tract. And then from there, that's when the various uh, microbiome bacteria will become activated on now your microbiome which is a fancy name for the environment of your digestive system which is contains somewhere anywhere is depending on who the research comes from 200 to 500 strains of probiotics they, they just did find some cultures down in south america that had no exposure to human like any other humans for hundreds or thousands of years that have like 200 more strains of bacteria that we don't have in their digestive tract. So we're on the kind of the cutting, or I would say the beginning of the golden age of understanding the role of these little tiny organisms and how essential they are to our lives. But the bottom line, what we do know is 10% of these are good, 10% of these are bad, and 80% are opportunists based on the dietary that we have. And that's why some diets suit people very well. And other diet, that same diet will not suit somebody else based on the microbiome because it turns out that these little bacteria guys, uh, they're hooking into uh, the nervous system. They regulate moods. They regulate hunger. They can affect hormone levels. They can create states of depression. They can straight uh, states of euphoria. And so a lot of the uh, depressive issues that people are suffering from are the fact that are, um, they're not feeding their good bacteria the proper food. And they can't make the polypeptide chains that makes the happy hormone. So 25% of the population is depressed, uh, at least mildly or sometimes chronically. And oftentimes that's because they're not breaking down the building blocks they need to make those uh, neurotransmitters in their brain to function. Or they can't focus or whatever. 
Oftentimes, it's related to bacteria overgrowth or the inability to digest food. So uh, ensuring that you have the right ratio of good guys to bad guys, for lack of a better term, is part of your kind of like digestive journey. And um, right now, there's a lot of research being poured into this um, because is, well, what constitutes a good bacteria for a given person and how do you get uh, and bacteria really fall into two strains. Not a lot of people talk about this. There are transient strains and colonizing strains. And colonizing strains are strains that actually will grow in the microbiome and colonize and create cultures and, 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 and grow there over time. Uh, and transient strains are bacteria that will come in for a period of time, do their job and move on. And as a company, we focused on transient strains because um, I think – in order to make a colonizing strain, you really got to get your prebiotics and your postbiotics down. You need to have strains that don't compete against each other. Uh, you really need to know your science. And as to my approximation, there's about 2,500 companies out there that are making probiotics of supposedly colonizing strains because they read a study and they throw a mishmash of maybes in a bottle. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. but And they're built on profit. And I would say probably 80 to 90% of the probiotic companies out there are just there's no science behind what they're doing. They're just throwing L whatever in the bottle because they heard it was good and they have no, it's not showing that it's actually colonizing inside the body. So we focused on transient strains that we knew we could be proven to do its job. Yeah. And also, I guess it would matter what you had living in your gut microbiome as to what would even colonize, right? So like if you've got a certain microbiome, something's not going to colonize in you no matter what. That's correct. And, And on top of that, I would say, um, if you look historically, and you know, I always think that cultures figure things out over time. So if you were from, say, an Asian descent, you're probably going to do well on things like kimchi and, uh, and miso, which are fermented foods, which were developed based on the dietary components of that culture. And you develop genetic predominances towards various diets. So you know, which is now, of course, taboo to say, but the reality is, is for the most part, Asians who have grown up on rice will be able to break down and digest rice much better than someone from a Northern European Caucasian background who might do better on sauerkraut and sausages, (laughs) you know, and what do you know, they figured out a fermented food that seems to work in conjunction. And I think you want to select the traditional based fermented foods around the dietary practices based on your individual genetics and lifestyle choices that you find yourself in. And that's something that working with so many clients around the world is we saw the predisposition of that over and over and over again. And uh, so your body is, it's, it's learnable and it's adaptable. And that being said, it's not that you can't make switches because you can flip on genetics and epigenetics, but just recognize that that's going to be a transitory period. It may take a period of months. And a good example is people that go through keto flus or they go through die-off when beginning an intermittent fasting because they're literally starving off some of the bad guys, and those bad guys are fighting back for a while that you've got to get through that phase, and that's where professionals come in and really can help that process and alleviate some of the questions that come up when you go through it. So, yeah, that's that stage of the digestion, and then the final stage, of course, is the elimination peristaltic contraction will remove the waste product that you don't have inside the system. Again, hydration uh, colon, uh, bacteria structure and um, the type of foods that you're eating. And one of the downsides of some, a lot of people out there, they're suffering from constipation because they don't have that um, 
that ultimate combination for the diet they have. And, and so we, we address basically the various components that come up for people, um, whether it's acid reflux, whether it's constipation, whether it's heartburn, whether it's uh, bacteria overgrowth, we just develop solutions in all those areas as our, as our company because our goal is we fix digestion. <laughs> That's what we do. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun and we get to learn a lot of information. And I think we're only scratching the scratch of where this is going over the next decade. So how long does that, does the whole digestive process take? So what you just told us from beginning to end, how long, I guess, does it vary by person to person? How long should it take? It varies from person to person. And typically, um, as you acclimatize to a diet, um, the faster your digestive time will be, your, your transit time. But it'll be anywhere from, uh, you know, 12 to 12 hours to, to a couple of days. And if you're compromised, though, that can extend significantly uh, longer. And that's where people start running into problems because they are literally getting fermentation inside the body. So whether and then you get bacteria overgrowth. So for women in particular, they suffer from things like yeast infection is a great example. And literally they're fermenting from the inside out. And, uh, you know, those are solvable issues uh, if you if you if you kill off the bacteria and you change the dietary components, and it's an area that a lot of women suffer from, but it's completely correctable. Uh, yeah, I, I personally got diagnosed with SIBO about like four years ago, and have had issues <laughs> ever since then with digestion. And um, so I'm always that's one reason I'm always thinking about all of this stuff, just as far as the process goes and how to address it and how to not get that that fermentation happening. All right, so whew, that was a lot with the digestion. <laughs> Just really, where should where should somebody start? One, you know, our listeners, what should they do first as far as like figuring out what what they need? What do they need to supplement with? Do they need all of it? Do they need everything? How do they choose? Well, the first thing I think first and foremost is they want a super strain of of, of probiotics. I think in today's world we've we've lived in a, a very I would say antibiotic resistant developed society we've got a, it's been a war on bacteria for you know 50 60 years and that's had some advantages people just died of infections of everything and so i'm not here to to poo poo antibiotics or antibacterial stuff but there's a lot of good bacteria that get wiped out so i would say do a gut map find out what's going on inside your system to the best of your ability and then start choosing not over the not your average over the counter probiotic, getting something that's been proven to either colonize or that's proven to uh, wipe out bad guys. Um, and you can do that if the, usually if the probiotic has a patent or is able to show market difference if you do a Viome test or a test illustrated, the gut mapping test. And the thing is, is again, you're going to find that a lot of products out there don't work. So it's kind of a twofold thing. Um, on a secondary standpoint, I would suggest that they start to introduce fermented foods a little bit in their diets uh, relative to their diets to see how so and, and, and track how those things go. But that's a very hit and miss. So one of the things that we do is oftentimes when people come in, I just look at them and I can see they've got all kinds of problems. We'll just go, okay, let's do a dietary reset and we'll set aside the next 90 days where we'll give them high dosages of enzymes, hydrochloric acid and probiotics and it's transformational. And then if you add in a little, and if you add in a little bit of time restricted eating on top of that, you're going to get even more amplified results on top of that. So 
almost anybody can 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 alter the digestive system radically within a couple of months if they if they target it. So stop eating so much, close the windows, add in some real good enzymes and probiotics and maybe a little hydrochloric acid if you're suffering from gas and bloating. And oftentimes we'll just find out what's the, you know, we'll listen to people because they don't have unlimited budgets. Uh, it'll be like, okay, what things are you suffering from particularly? And then we'll, we'll address it from a, a piece by piece minute. So um, if they got a lot of flat and flatulence and stuff like that, that's probably a probiotic or a hydrochloric acid issue. If they're feeling bloated after they're eating, you know, it's probably they're not digesting enzymes. You know, if they have a lot of skin conditions or something, it's probably microbiome. If they have brain fog, again, it's probably a probiotic issue because they've got bad guys, you know, producing skatol and indol and all these kind of neural foggers, I call them. Yeah, LPS and endotoxin are like the bane of my existence. <laughs> Speaking to the probiotics really quickly, just to show how much we're on the same page. So I'm always like researching different probiotic strains and everything. And so like before I even heard of you guys or talked to you guys, um, so in my refrigerator, I had um, a lactobacillus plantarum strain, like just that. It, it wasn't your company, but it was that particular strain because I had read so much research on that strain. And then I had a, um, a bifidobacterium only blend and then a soil-based probiotic. Um, but would you like to talk a little bit about the lactobacillus plantarum probiotic that you guys have? So it's P3OM. So what makes it special? <laughs> what we did is, uh, like yourself, we did a lot of research and looked at areas of uh, aggressive strains of probiotics that were you could maintain in the system. And one of the, the one of the challenges of taking a multi-strain probiotic is that oftentimes they compete against each other. So that we didn't want to do that. We wanted to be able to target. L plantarum is a very hardy and aggressive bacteria strain that has shown a lot of promise and benefits to people that were taking it for various dietary practices. Well, what we did is we looked at it and said, hey, well, look, we know that if you look at hospitals, you go into hospitals today, the number one biggest fear that you get is an infection. So a friend of mine, he happens to be a vascular surgeon from Harvard. He said 50% of the people who die from surgery don't die from surgery. They die from infections from the surgery because they get an antibiotic resistant strain of bacteria in the hospital. You probably heard about these strains. Well, what, how did that strain? I always say, well, how did that strain suddenly become, res how did that become resistant to antibiotics? And if you look at antibiotic treatment today, they're using like, 10,000, 100,000 times the antibiotics they did when they began, began, and it's still not having effect. Well, what happened is um, these bacteria cultures were subjected to high levels of, a, of an environmental condition, in this case, antibiotics, that allowed a certain strains to emerge who eventually became resistance to that. And I said, well, this is great. So we worked with a doctor that said, well, we'll take the same theory. We'll take, the, well, not the theory, we'll, we'll take that same proof and we'll subject this L. plantarum chain to an extreme level of conditions. And then we're going to provide not only an extreme level of conditions that will cause mutation in that bacteria to make it more aggressive and to do more tasks that it wants, but we're also going to cultivate it on a specific medium that it's like feeding the bacteria better. So the result of that is we were able to cultivate and develop a patented strain, the L-plantarum virus, we call it P3OM, which is powerful protolytic probiotic. It's what P3 stands for. And OM is, uh, you know, kind of like OM. 
So, so, so that strain is relatively unique and in the patent. Now, I'm not saying this to make any claims or medical conditions. You don't have to do all that legal stuff about what it is. But in the patent, we were able to prove through a scientific patented process that it was antiviral, antiretroviral, protolytic, digest tumors, and served as a screaming agent against pharmaceuticals because most of those are using a protein delivery system. It's very unusual for probiotics to be able to break down proteins. Um, very well. They mostly live on carbohydrates. Uh, they do sugars and stuff. And so this strain will actually consume both proteins and sugars. It's transient. It goes through the whole body. It finds viruses in the body. So, you know, for example, I probably have in my friend of in my friend's fear sphere alone in excess of a hundred people who are using it successfully to not have flare-ups of the herpes virus which is a very strong retrovirus. It's just about having enough good guys on that. And so that's a big issue for people that they don't want to talk about it. I think over 50% of the population has it. So it's like, here's a solution by having enough of these good guys in your system, you can beat this down. And it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And it's a, and if it's efficacy, so I'm not saying it eliminates it, but what it does is you all of a sudden you don't have any symptoms anymore. And uh, that's a nice feature. Yeah, that is. And there's a video on your web on your website, right, of the um the probiotic actually digesting meat. Yeah, so what we did is we 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 did a couple things. One of the things we always like to illustrate and one of the things that we developed the test for is we took uh p- pieces of steak and we put it in a acidic format uh which is like uh vinegar, we, we which is similar to your stomach, not quite the same, but you get the idea. And then we threw some enzymes in with the steak. And then we took this and then on the other one, we threw the enzymes in and we put the steak in with the probiotics. And you can see that the steak that doesn't have the enzymes or doesn't have the probiotics doesn't break down at all. The one with the just the enzymes breaks down pretty good. And the one that has the enzymes and the P through OM completely digests and dissolves. And so we wanted to show that to people is this is a controlled time lapse video of what literally happens inside your digestive system in your digestive system it'll work faster because it's a higher temperatures it's a controlled environment you've got peristaltic contraction you've got all these advantages but we're literally illustrating that we did the same thing with the gluten um test recently people that suffering from gluten intolerance we 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 took some of a a specific enzyme we dealt that breaks down gluten which is unique and we throw it in with a piece of bread and all of a sudden you see that the bread just completely digests where people weren't able to digest that before. So it's provided a lot of relief for gluten people. And uh, it, it, yeah, so it's exciting. And we're going to con- keep developing and cultivating more tests so people can see it. To see. And all those are to illustrate. The only reason that we really do that is so people can see and like, wow, I can see that something's happening. I'm willing to try this and see if it works in my own life. And of course, if for some reason it didn't, we just give people their money back. It's, it's, it's so it, it's it's a big thing. There's a lot of people making a lot of promises out there and a lot of stories uh, where like we put our money where our mouth is and we just try to use these illustrations to help people grasp what's happening. And it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's fun science. So is that probiotic have an affinity? Is it animal based protein specifically that it that it's for? And just go going on that bigger, the, the idea of protein, um, animal protein versus plant protein and assimilation and how that supports the body. Is that something that we need to be thinking about as far as how much protein we take in, how much we need, and then do enzymes affect how much we assimilate? Because I know especially with like intermittent fasting, a lot of our listeners will write in because they're worried 
that eating in a certain time window that they won't be able to eat enough protein, you know, in that window. Um, so yeah, protein digestion and enzymes. Yeah. And, and this, this is a great topic and I'll, I'll, I could go down so many tangents, but I will say this, that yes, enzymes increase your ability to assimilate and digest food period. Well, and, and so there's three main classifications of enzymes relative to most people's diets. That is protease, which breaks down protein, uh, amylase, which breaks down carbohydrates, lipase, which breaks down fats. And so, and then, you know, cellulase, which breaks down uh, vegetable structures and hemisemylase, there's different categorizations of all those different products. And so for the most part, where most people run into problems is uh, protein digestion, absorption, and utilization. And so we developed proteolytic enzymes in specific because that's where the biggest amount of problems were for people. Um, So we made a three-stage proteolytic enzyme that breaks down whether it's plant protein, animal proteins, you know, whether it's egg. It doesn't matter what the protein is. We'll we'll take it apart. Uh, We also include all these other enzymes in it. There's a total of... uh, 15 different enzymes and coenzyme factors on top of that. And then another agent that enhances the effects of enzymes in our, in our digestive or overall digestive formula to, to assimilate all those products. So um, there are some with certain plants. So if you take, if you go down, let's say um, soy, which was a popular vegetarian beverage or use or food product for a lot of years, um, Soy has 13 different enzyme inhibitors. So you could eat 25 grams of soy and you'll get nothing out of it because your body can't break oh, that wow. down. And this was a, a, an issue that was happening with a lot of vegetarians and they were developing hormonal dysfunctions and various issues, particularly uh, with women who it was very popular in the 70s. And I had to deal with a lot of these women in their 40s, you know, when they were coming to me in the early 90s and finding out what was going on. And it turns out they've been eating soy for 30 years and developed all these hormonal issues and estrogen over estrogens and throwing off their testosterone ratios and all this sort of stuff. And it all came back to they couldn't break down the food they were eating. And so we would put them on digestive enzymes and all of a sudden the gas went away, the flatulence went away, their hormones started to balance back. And then uh, it's phenomenal. And that doesn't happen overnight. This happens over you know, the course of, of several months and making those adjustments. And so for each person, your ability to break down that food is going to be determined by are you producing the enzymes to do it or are you taking the enzymes to break it down? Number two, do you have enough hydrochloric acid? And number three, do you have the right microbiome that is going to be able to finish the job? So enzymes are like cutting the grass and probiotics are like mulching the grass. And with so if you are not eating enough protein, so let's say that you're like myself who works out you know, a lot. And, uh, I train every day. And when I was competing as an athlete, I was training, you know, four hours a day and I was able to using, uh, our enzymes. And that's what I developed the enzymes for is how do I get enough protein in my diet? Cause I was only eating 85 grams a day where my competitors were eating 250 and 300 grams a day for body weight. But I was getting more out of my 85 grams than they were getting out of 250. And so uh, I learned that lesson the hard way because before I was eating all this protein, I wasn't digesting it. And that's what set me up to go to Mr. Marshmallow, right? Because I had all this undigested protein in my system that was creating aches and pains in my body. It was causing brain fog. It was causing me to crave more carbohydrates and food, 
uh, all these different things were happening because I had a bad microbiome and I didn't have the enzymes to break down the food that I was eating. And so I just got there faster than most people. I got there in my mid thirties because I was a high performance guy where most people start hitting that problems in their forties and fifties. So you guys do have, you have your mass signs product. And so that is your, your enzyme blend. And again, for listeners, we'll put links to all of this in the show notes, which will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 84. So that product, like what type of enzymes are in it specifically and how could listeners use that to, to benefit their digestion? Yeah. So the enzymes where well, there's 15 different enzymes inside of that, and there's virtually, it'll cover virtually any diet a person has. The only inhibition I would say out of this is if they have gluten and we developed a specific enzyme blend for gluten itself because that's a whole unique, it's a proteolytic enzyme or it's a protein structure gluten that people have problem digesting, but there's only one enzyme out there that's been proven to be effective against it, which is, uh, it's called DPP4. But in regards to masszymes, um, we have a multi-stage proteolytic enzyme. In other words, it works at pH, uh, Every range from 2 to 12. And as it goes through that spell, particularly, there's 3.0, 4.5, and 6.0, which there's a variance of pH range. So that make sure that you cleave any protein or any uh, into amino acids that your body reels, whether that's a plant-based, whether that's an animal-based, it doesn't matter. Uh, whether you're taking shakes or whether you're eating, you know, raw fish, you're good. It's going to cover it. And then we've also included the lipase and amylase and it's got, you know, aflagalactase and mitase and phytase and lactase and all these different things. So that pretty much any inflammatory agent that you could possibly put inside your system, this will break it down so you don't have that. And it's so interesting. I developed it essentially as a bodybuilding product was our first version because I wanted to get as much protein as possible on my little tiny protein content as an athlete. And then people started coming into my clinic and we'd try them, you know, and they had diabetes and suddenly they had to use less insulin and then there were people who were depressed and all of a sudden their depression went away because now they could digest their food and wow from the enzymes wow yeah and there were people that had skin conditions because they didn't have uh their lipase wasn't breaking down the the fats in their system and their skin was the thing and they added that into their diet and like all of a sudden two months later they have beautiful perfect skin because now they can metabolize the fats that they're eating and so um we we ended up coming up with we've gone through three different versions of it now we've improved it three times we've also added a product called astrazyme this is based on chinese medicine which they condensed down some um, particular elements in chinese medicine that would enhance the utilization of enzymes inside the body so we can improve the the effects of any enzyme by somewhere between 30 and 40 percent depending on the enzyme just by adding that element so even if someone had the same enzymes in the formulation, if they don't have the astrozyme, they're not going to have the same benefit. So we combine that in and we're always looking at how can we make it better? How can we make it stronger? How can we make it more effective for people? And, uh, and that's why it's been so popular for the last, literally, we've been producing it now for 14 years. I always use the word proteolytic enzyme and I talk about it on the podcast to refer to it to enzyme to refer to it as enzymes that you're taking in the fasted state to break down protein systemically in the body. Um, but I guess proteolytic must literally just mean breaking down enzymes. So it's going to be proteolytic regardless. Pro proteolytic breaks down protein and then 
amyolytic would be breaking down carbohydrate lipolytic would be you know fats you know lactase would break down lactose which is a form of sugar so uh, cellulase would be or, or would be breaking down those so there are various designations within the enzymatic families related to food but i always say here's a great way to test your enzymes if you're trying it and this is for any brand you're going, you know I, I i always do take a bowl of oatmeal throw two or three caps in it stir it up see what happens does it break it down? And if it does, you know that it's working. And if it doesn't, you know you got sold a piece of garbage. <laughs> so we do this all the time. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, we, we, and you want to mix the enzymes. You can sprinkle it on your food. You can take, for example, you take mass enzymes, put it in your protein shake. So you can take one of the, you can have a protein shake that's like, you know, the ones where you didn't quite get it right and it's like super thick. <laughs> it's like it won't come out of your container. Sprinkle a couple enzymes in there, stir it up and let it sit for five minutes and watch it completely liquidify. You can see it taste different. We have people eating their food beforehand. Um, you can stir it into a plate of food and, and, and watch it literally start to break down and the flavors and the taste start to change as well. So it's it's it, you can have a lot of fun experiments. And this is one of the things I want to encourage for people is to to experiment with their food and with what they're taking to see if it works. And enzymes, really good enzymes, really make a great difference. Is there, is there a potential danger with taking too many enzymes and digesting your food too much? <laughs> great question. So um, one of the things that, as you might have guessed, I'm a bit of an extreme guy. <laughs> so one of the things that I would became curious about is, well, what is the toxic level of taking enzymes? Is there, is there such a thing? Or can I build up this enzymatic pool? And what's the interesting thing is when you consume enzymes is you won't actually show it up, show it up in your stool. So whatever your body doesn't use, it will recycle. And this turned me on to the idea of, well, I started to wonder, well, why does fasting work? Why is intermittent fasting or extended fast? Why has this been so effective and throughout history and all these different cultures? And what I realized is when you're not eating, you free up your metabol your metabolic enzymes inside the body. And so I was doing fasting and I thought, well, what would happen if I was fasting and I took massive amounts of enzymes? Would this accelerate the aspects of the fast? And I had some evidence to support that that would be the case, but I'm like, you know, evidence, evidence, I'm going to test it out myself. And so um, in my most extreme adventure, I took a thousand capsules of enzymes in a day. Oh my gosh. That's something I would do, Jen. <laughs> oh no, I'm going to go get my bottle. <laughs> Jen, Jen would not. <laughs> <laughs> I was really clear and had a lot of energy, not like stimulated on caffeine, but I was in a phenomenal state. So I, it, it didn't cause any problems. I didn't, you know, bleed or anything like that. So I was good. You didn't digest yourself. I didn't digest myself, but I have a funny story around that. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a caveat on there. So that was it. And then I, in another experiment, I was doing a 10-day water fast, and I added 100 capsules uh, per day in divided dosages of 10 capsules uh, through divided dosage. So I'd take every hour or so, I'd take another 10 capsules, another 10 capsules. And in a previous life, if you want to say or a previous time in my life, I had used a lot of chemical agents partying and stuff and so i did this 10-day uh, fast and i started doing 100 a day and by the third day i developed a, a, a really significant pain in my liver it was like excruciating it felt like a knife was going in but my brain was completely clear like you would expect on three or four days into a fast you know that kind of really euphoric kind of very clear calm crisp space and i was like wow what's going on here 
And I went to my colonics guy and I was trying to do in colonics. And he's like, dude, there's no, there's nothing inside your system. You're fine colonic wise. And I'm like, well, I'm in a lot of pain liver wise. What can I do? And I, I said, uh, he says, well, why don't you try some saltwater brine? Maybe you can get the toxins to come out using salt brine. So saltwater brine is 38% salt solution. So it's, it's, it's not like, hey, a little bit of salt water. It's, it's, it's like drinking half a glass of salt with half a glass of water together. And I'm sitting there and, you know, you're kind of going through that. What did I just do to myself? Kind of like, oh, my God. I laid down on my bed so that the water would kind of pool by my liver. And 30 minutes later, I felt sick got up and then I wish I could have got a sample, but I, I vomited up this bright orangey or not orange, greenish yellow. It looked like venom or something. It was just and it was a huge amount and it just went all down the sink. It was like an acid liquid stuff. It didn't stick. It didn't do anything. It was down the stairs. I wish I could have got a sample. And I literally went into a state of euphoria. About 95% of the pain out of my liver was gone. And I realized these were chemical toxins that were just built up in my liver. That the, the, the change between the salt, you know, the enzymes kind of stirred it up. And then the, and the change between the, 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 salt, the, the salt ions and everything was able to pull it out. And then I was just able to get rid of it all in one shot. And I realized then, wow, these are way more powerful than even I imagined. And it's something that I've used extensively to make my fasts better is using enzymes uh, on an empty stomach. And uh, I've seen lots of healing effects on it. I've seen people heal, have systemic effects, scars going away on the body, uh, things like that. So uh, again, it's, it's a testament of I don't, I don't think a lot of people really have played with it because I, I believe that a good digestive enzyme will be converted to a metabolic enzyme if it's not being used. And I've seen that because I've seen people who have skin conditions to use lipase uh, and, and have better skin. I've seen people who have diabetic issues use amylase and they use less insulin. And I've seen people suffering from depression uh, or, or the lack of protein in the diet correct that by using proteolytic enzymes inside their bodies. And so there, I do believe that there's enzymatic pathways that when they convert like proteolytic enzyme families and amylase, sugar related amylase, fat related actually convert. And that's why there's adaptive phases to any dietary process as your body starts to alter its enzymatic production. This is probably the one podcast where everything you're talking about right now, you're speaking to a lot of listeners because, um, Jen and I often talk a lot about serapeptase, which I know is not it's not one of the components in mass enzymes, but we are big proponents of, you know, in, how enzymes can catalyze the fast in a way just by, you know, encouraging that breakdown of things. That's crazy about your story that our, our bodies can really hold on to stuff for so long and um, finally letting it go. So taking the mass enzymes in the fasted state, um, our listeners could do that and that would support the, the fasted process, it would be, I guess, similar to, because a lot of our listeners do take serapeptase because Jen and I talk about it so much. Um, you think that this would be a similar case to that? Yeah. I'll give you an example. First off, serapeptase and serapeptidase, there's two different types. One is made from the, the, the little caterpillar that is both a plant and an animal. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty interesting. Right. And how that is. And that's this, uh, uh, I think that's serapepsidase. And then there's serapeptase, which is a way they isolate it without using the worm. So some people have issues about that. So those are two things. And it's an amazing systemic enzyme that breaks down protein adhesions inside the body, like i.e. scar tissue internally and externally. So again, I I'd utilize this in my clinic 
with a lot of people and was a very big advocate of it. And then I had this theory about enzymatic families, if you will, and conversions inside the body. And it turned out I had a client that had a necrosis uh, scar from a spider bite that she had gotten on her shoulder. And she had about it, her scar was about a half inch thick. Um, and it was probably two or three inches. And it was to the degree that it had caused damage to her shoulder. She had lack of mobility and she had this huge scar on it. And, uh, I said, well, let's see what happens if we start taking mass signs on an empty stomach, right? Let's, let's see if that, those will go in and infect that thing. So we started dosing her up <laughs> like I like to do. She was game for the experiment and she'd take it on an empty stomach. She'd take like five or 10 capsules. And we found that 10 was really good for her. She took 10. It was like in about 10 minutes, she'd get a response. She was a very fast responder. Just her metabolism was very quick. So maybe the average person might be 30 or 60 minutes. But all of a sudden, her scar would get all kinds of blood flow to it and it start to get itchy. So wow. we did this over the course of uh, nine months. And by the end of the nine months, the scar had completely diminished, was flat with the tissue. The, the color had turned over and she had full mobility in her shoulder, which she hadn't had in six or seven years since she had originally got the injury. In fact, her little girl reached onto her shoulder one day. She was holding her and says, Mommy, your, your, your scar's smooth. What happened? And I thought that was really cool to witness. And I was very fortunate to witness, again, in real world time that happening. And then, of course, that's anecdotal evidence. I'm not saying it's a replacement for serapeptidase and and I wouldn't recommend someone use that, you know, go by a physician and their medical doctor, but it does have these effects inside the body. I was just gonna say, we actually hear, I, I run some large Facebook support groups for intermittent fasting and people will talk about just fasting, not even with enzyme use, but just the fasting itself, their scar tissue is breaking down. They're like, I used to have a C-section scar and it's been there for, you know, X number of years. And now with this fasting, it's breaking it down. You know, these are the kind of claims that would sound just too good to be true. Like people would be like, that, that sounds made up. <laughs> but people are reporting it all the time. Well, it goes back to that whole enzymatic pathway. So let's say your body can produce 100 units of enzymes inside the body. We'll just use this as, as an illustrative purposes for your listeners. And digestion is taking up probably 70% of their units G going back to the pancreas is four and a half times any other animal out there. Again, going back to the cooked food. So let's say we're taking, let's say we're taking only 50 units. Let's, let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We're only taking 50 units of our enzymatic capacity, if you will, to break down our food. Well, that means we have 50 units, which will be divvied up to heal various aspects of the body. Okay. Now, now, as soon as I'm fasting, right, all of a sudden, as an intermittent faster, I'm only using up maybe 10% or 20% of my enzyme forms. So now I have 70 or 80 or 90% of my enzymatic capacity that can go off and start fixing these other things. And your body will go through. It's so selective. It'll pick uh, descending levels of importance from what's the biggest priority. And if you look at all animals in the animal kingdom, when they get hurt, when they get sick, they stop eating. And I believe that frees up the metabolic issues. And I think this is one of the big reasons and why I so like the intermittent fasting movement, because the reality is with diets the way they are today, whatever the diet is, the, the food that we're getting, the environment that we're living, there's a lot of inflammation inside the body. And it's the silent killer. You can't feel, you can't touch, you can't taste, you don't know, but it's happening to everybody. And by fasting and reducing that, we start to be able to use our enzymatic processes inside the body or in, you know, endogenous enzymes, if you will, to start uh, 
accelerating the healing process. And of course, if you want to boost that up, you, you set in these exogenous enzymes like we're suggesting and recommending or you can experiment with. Well, thank you so much, Wade. And <laughs> there's so many other things I want to talk to you about because you also have, you have a gluten guardian pro, uh, pro, um, product, which is to address breaking down gluten, gluten and so many different things. So would you mind actually if we have you on maybe for a part two interview in a few few weeks for listeners and we can tackle some more issues because I there's so much more we could talk about and I I, I personally learned so much Me too. <laughs> in this in this interview and I think our listeners would love to hear more from you. So we'd love to have you back on if you're open to that. Yeah, I'd love to come on. It's a it's a fun topic and I think this crowd is particularly they're on the right track. Um, you know because of this and it's really correlated this is the mechanism of why intermittent fasting works and there are these various tools that we can use to accelerate the results for people whether they're in transition or whether they've been on it for a long time and they want to kind of go to the next level of healing and recovering in their life fabulous i look forward to it so for listeners we do have a very special offer from buy optimizers um thank you so much for this wade they are offering our listeners a 20 percent discount on their products which is Awesome. And like I said, so they have the mass science product, which we can, which you can use for digestion or during the fasted state for everything we just talked about. They also have a gluten guardian product. Um, like I just teased a little bit, um, for breaking down gluten, they have an, a product with HCL for the stomach acid. And then they also have that, that probiotic we talked about the P3OM. So lots of goodies there. Definitely check them all out. If you go to buyoptimizers.com slash ifpodcast20, so that's going to be the link you're going to want to use, and the coupon code is ifpodcast20, and you will get 20% off of those products. So definitely check that out. Use that link. We'll put links to all of that as well in the show notes, and those show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 84. So thank you so much for that discount. I think, uh, our, I mean, I, I, I was thrilled because when we first talked to you, you guys sent us... Um, some VIP packages with everything in it. And I was so happy. I was like, it's like Christmas. Um, but yes, I'm definitely loving those products and I can't encourage listeners enough to check those out, especially after this interview. I think they'll really understand why, why those products can work. Well, I just want to say I haven't used them though that we got sent. I, I imagine you probably have used them, yes. right? Melanie? <laughs> see, I have not, I wanted to wait and talk to Wade first and see what he recommended. But now I'm like super excited to go dig that package out. And so the fact that we're having a part two, I'll be able to talk about if, if I go through any changes after using them. <laughs> so I'm going to like, like literally right off we stop after we stop recording, I'm going to run and get my box and look in there. <laughs> and, and one thing for people um, who are checking that out, we have two things that's relatively unique with our company. And number one is we have a 365 guarantee day guarantee on everything. You have a whole year to try the product. We'll wow. return it if it doesn't work for you. The other thing is we have what I call the fix your digestion guarantee. If you take one of our products for whatever reason, you want to try it for whatever you think might be the challenge that you're overcoming and it doesn't work for you, call one of our agents and we'll send you the product that we think will work for you at no extra charge. Wow. Uh, and, and we do that because we're very confident that we can fix your digestive issue, whatever it is. We just got to select the right product for you. And whether that's you figure it out or we figure it out or we figure it out together, we'll get her done. And then we have a whole education series that people can dive deep and watch videos that comes with it. We have uh, interviews with a naturopathic doctor on specific conditions. 
that people might have. My personal ND, Katrine Valinsky, who you know, I have my own ND that goes through this and gives me all the tests and and things. And so it becomes a really good resource. So people can find out about this. So they can actually listen to an ND talking. It's not going to cost them anything. They get a whole episode of how does acid reflux work or how, what do I do with her bloating or gassing? And so that can save people a lot of money. And that's what we do. Fabulous. That's awesome. So listeners, nothing to lose. <laughs> Definitely nothing Absolutely. to lose except 20% discount. So use that for sure. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. And then I will just say a few things for listeners before we go. So like I said, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 84, that's where we, we will put the, all of the show notes, the links to everything. You can find everything there. Again, the optimizer that again, the link to use for the products is by optimizers.com slash ifpodcast20 with the coupon code ifpodcast20. You can also subscribe to our podcast and iTunes, and then you will get the episodes downloaded each and every week. You won't even have to do anything. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. And yeah, so go listeners, get, get those products, try them out, and get really excited for our part two of the interview. We'll, we'll schedule that, and hopefully that'll be um, in a few weeks or so. Also, I wanted to say if people had any specific questions, they could go ahead and send those in, um, questions at ifpodcast.com, and then we would have those questions for part two. Yeah, definitely. If you have any questions for Wade or about any of this, definitely send them, and we will we'll get them ready. Fabulous. Love questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day, your intermittent fasting day. Have you, or have you eaten today? When, when your window, is it in the evening normally? My, I would take my window from um, noon to five. Okay. Okay. So that's, I just ate before I got on here and I'll, I'll get another, I got an hour and a half. You do a lunch and dinner type thing. Yeah. It's 6 30 here in, in Georgia. I'm in a different time zone and I haven't eaten yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, if I, if I didn't work out, I'd probably do the once a day right. more often. Um, my business partner does once a day, but he only trains three days a week and I'm training five or six. So, yeah. oh yeah, your body needs more. Yesterday I needed to eat more. I, I was hungry midday. And so I was like, I'm going to eat twice today. And I just did. Yesterday I ate like two pounds of meat. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. I these enzymes. I'm not even making that number up. That's how much I ate. <laughs> all right. Well, we will talk to you in a few weeks. That was a great interview. I know we didn't get all of them, but there's so many you guys got. So I love all those questions. So it's great. Thank you for your answers and being so thorough. I love, love all the science. Love all of it. So, Sweet. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Take care, ladies. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember... The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.